welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Eric Van Allen. Hello, hello. I get first bill this time. No runner-up oh, to yeah. Nadia. I have usurped yes. her position. Usurped. Usurped. Well done. Is that how they say it in Texas? Oh, no. I was trying to hearken back to my oh. roots. Oh, were ya? <laughs> well done, you. Also joining us, a special guest, my pal from IGN.com, it's Alex Dedman. Hello, and I usurped is how I will say it forever now, so thank you mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> That's how we say it in the Midwest, don't you know? It's very uh, Midwestern, yeah. Common turn of phrase yeah. in the Midwest, <laughs> usurpation. <laughs> <laughs> We're joined by Alex this week to talk about... Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, House of the Dragon, what it means for RPG fans, but also we're going to be kicking off Autumn of the Avatar, our brand new Avatar, The Last Airbender watch that's going to be going on for the next few months. We watched the first six episodes. We're going to be talking about them, spoilers and all, in this episode. Just kind of, I've never seen Avatar, The Last Airbender, so I'll be reacting in real time. I know basically nothing about this show, but I will be learning. Eric is our expert. Alex is also our expert, I believe. Mm-hmm. Love me. I couldn't, I, when you first told me about this, I thought it was like a rewatch. I had no idea you've never watched Avatar. It's a rewatch for Eric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is, this was his thing. This is his idea. I just, I never got around to it. It came out while I was actually living in Japan. Um, so I was like, oh, and, you know, I don't make it a habit of watching Nickelodeon. I apologize. So um, for a long time, I it was kind of at the fringes of my consciousness. And then it came out on Netflix, and I still didn't watch it because I'm pretty bad at just watching TV on my own. Though I'm getting better since I started working at IGN. So <laughs> it came but out we, like it came on Netflix during, like, the pandemic, you know? Yeah, there was time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I usually watch uh, television with my household is the thing. So... Mm-hmm. Um, We'll get together as a group of four and we'll watch The Expanse, for example. We watched True Blood during the pandemic. Why did we watch the True Blood? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We've all it was been a there very before. bad show, y'all. I watched yeah. all seven seasons of that. I watched all of Pretty Little Liars, so I'm not going to judge you. True Blood was a fun one, Teeves. I totally agree with that. We'll be getting to all of that in just a hot second. But first, if you enjoy the show, thank you very much. Please leave us a uh, review on the podcatcher of your choice. You can also find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot and Eric is at cmoosey, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And Alex, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at A underscore stead, S-T-E-D. And then you can just read my work at IGN.com. Absolutely do so she is so great she is the lead entertainment editor for reviews over there and she's very busy really enjoy your work so go check it out um but we also have a patreon patreon.com slash pod for where for just one dollar a month you can join our discord you can get access to ad free episodes you can participate in our community events it's a lot of fun and just recently we were doing our Pantheon of the Blood God polling where we ended up selecting Golden Sun for this month's vote. So we'll be playing Golden Sun all month, all month long in the monthly game club. Alex, did you ever get around to playing Golden Sun? 
No, and I feel like I oh. should know. It seems like a good yes. one to play for the first time. It is one Red Valentine's favorite RPG, or one of them. She really loves that game. Yeah, the weird thing is, yeah. I feel like I knew that for some reason. Like, I feel like I've seen her tweet about it. Yes. Uh, Golden Sun and Chrono Trigger. I think she mm-hmm. likes Bat and Kaitos. Yeah, and yeah. She, she has a, that those handful of JRPGs that she's just really into. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, I have, um, shall we say, I don't know. Um, my memories of Golden Sun are mixed, but I'm excited to revisit it to see if maybe it's a lot better than I remember. I've got my analog pocket now. I'm gonna bring it with mm, me to Japan. There it's you go. Be fun. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Really looking forward. Oh, to you, it. are you going to the Tokyo Game Show, Kat? I am going to the Tokyo Game Show as it happens. I'm going to D23, and then I'm literally getting on a plane and flying to Tokyo Game Show. Oh my god, you're going to be exhausted, but that sounds so fun. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be excited. I live a life of adventure, y'all. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Your life is an RPG. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> wow, that's the nicest thing that anybody's ever said about my life. It's amazing. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> All right. It's time now to talk about what we have been playing. And Alex, our special guest, um, feel free to talk about have you even had time to play anything, given that no, you've been in the middle of reviewing Rings of Power? But I am about to play something that I'm really excited about. And Ooh. so I think I've maybe told you this, Kat, but I've, for all, for as much as I love the Dragon Age series, I've never played Mass Effect. And like, I feel like it's usually the opposite where people play Mass Effect and like they don't play Dragon Age. But I just got the Legendary Edition and I'm like, I'm just going to do it. Like I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna yes. this is gonna be my thing. Yes. I think. Yeah. Excellent. Perfect. Yeah. Kat, good job picking the guest. Good job picking the guest this week. <laughs> I haven't played it yet. Like, you never know. I might hate it. <laughs> I highly oh. doubt it. It looks like very much my jam. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for the longest time, I just kept saying like I'm gonna get around to it. I know. I know. But um, it seems like a good lull right now, as far as not as far as entertainment and my job goes, but mm-hmm. as far as games go. So I'm like, if I'm gonna do it, I'm just gonna do it now. So that's my next one, and I'm very excited about it. Alex, I just want to say that you're going to love Mass Effect. It is one just based on what I know of you. It is 100% your jam. Um, mm-hmm. Congratulations in advance on your new favorite game. <laughs> Yeah, that's like literally yeah. what everyone says to me they're like alex this is going to be your favorite game of all time and it's going to take over your life and i'm like you know i'm ready for it and that's another fear i have like sometimes i'm like if i download a game i'm like is this gonna ruin my life um but i've accepted that you know how did you end up playing dragon age before you ended up starting to play <laughs> mass effect okay props to xbox it was just on game pass <laughs> and oh, I was like, oh yeah that's yeah. like that's literally all it was it was on game pass and i want to say it was like maybe like 2018 uh when i played inquisition and mm-hmm. i never really thought about getting much into it but i just started playing inquisition and i just got really 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 obsessed with it um i also think it's maybe like a genre preference thing like i've always preferred fantasy over sci-fi like i would trade in a spaceship for a dragon any day of the week mm-hmm. um so i think that's partially also it um but yeah i, I it always seems to be the opposite where everyone plays mass effect and then dragon age but i just switched it up made it a little spicy i think that a lot of people 
um, I don't know, uh, Mass Effect really popularized Bioware in so many ways um, mm-hmm. for a whole generation of people, Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. And when Dragon Age came out uh, in 2010, 9, it was seen as a little bit of a, I don't know, the, the second fiddle, the, the other franchise, right? Yeah. It was trying to recapture the kind of the glory of Baldur's Gate, but not quite doing it. And it changed a lot with Dragon Age 2 and then Inquisition came out. But over the years, uh, a lot of people have really come around on Dragon Age in mm-hmm. a big, big way. Uh, Alex, which one's your favorite? Is it Inquisition? It's Inquisition. Like, I I know it's not perfect, but I just love the characters. And, like, that's why I think I'm a Bioware mm-hmm. person. It's just because, like, mm-hmm. I really fall in love with the characters. I fall in love with falling in love with the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I love, I, I romance Solus in that game, and I oh. don't want to talk about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know. Like, I didn't, and I was... Honestly, I was dating a guy at the time who did know, and he was like, it'd be fun if you romance Solus. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. Um, oh, the Trespasser no. DLC just ruined my life. Um, yeah. No, but I, I love Cassandra. I love Sarah. I love Dorian. Like, I just love mm-hmm. those characters, mm-hmm. and I get so nostalgic for that world. So Inquisition. It's like, I have a weird love for that game. <laughs> well, Mango Alt says, dragons greater than space. So you're in good company around I here. I think... Um, Nadia can't be here for today, but I, I think that she would super agree with you on that front. Um, as for me, I reviewed Dragon Age Inquisition back in the day, um, and I really enjoyed it, actually. And I always was kind of annoyed by the discourse that kind of formed around it, that it wasn't Witcher 3, so therefore it wasn't good. I like to hope that Dragon Age Inquisition can be kind of judged in its own merits these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't get me wrong, I love The Witcher 3, um, but I think just personal preference wise, I always like a game where I can do a little character creation. It's one of the reasons I like Skyrim mm-hmm. as much as I do. Um, so I like, I always like when I can like put myself in the shoes of a character and I can't do that as much with Geralt as I can with my Inquisitor. So I feel like, again, personal preference. Big same, big same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I very much love the, that was one of the reasons I really struggled to get into Witcher 3 from the start was that. I felt like I, I just couldn't vibe with Geralt. I was just like, exactly. I I've I never like, I can't to put myself in the shoes. With that. Yeah, no, I yeah. can't. Like, he's just like this big dude who I don't necessarily like. And I, again, great game. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I can't relate to Geralt as much. I love Geralt. Um, this is the most telling thing that has happened on this podcast. <laughs> I love Geralt. <laughs> I love him, but I just, oh, I love really, Geralt. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And eventually, you know what got me around to Geralt? I think I've said on this podcast was, there's this masquerade mask that you can get that you mm. put on when you first go on a date with um one of one of one of the two oh, with maybe Triss. Triss. with Triss, yeah. Triss. Yeah. yeah. I just kept that masquerade mask on for literally the rest of the game. And mm. the game let me. <laughs> yep. It was fine. <laughs> really? All the way till the very end. Mm. And when as soon as I put that thing on, I was like, yes, Geralt is my character now. I get it. And <laughs> I um I went and collected um I, I had a lot of fun getting the best armor sets for him in Witcher 3. And then by the end, I was like, okay, now I feel like I have some customization. I'm firmly like yeah. team customizable avatar. Maybe this mm. should be like mm. maybe this should be a discussion on the show. It's like do do you prefer customizable avatar oh. versus an avatar that's like established? Always customizable for me. Always. Me too. Me too. On Normandy, we've had so many discussions over the years about 
like having a set character like you do in say like Dragon Age 2, which has Hawk or Mm -hmm. a customizable character kind of like Dragon Age Origins or Inquisition where you get to completely make whoever you want. And then is that a self-insert character or do you have a person in mind and a persona that you like to play. I like to create a character and like just completely make someone that is completely different from me. But my, my good friend, Ken on Normandy FM, uh, loves to self insert and he just plays himself in games. And a lot of people do that. And so, yeah, that might be an episode idea in there to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's and I not to say that I haven't played games that I really enjoy playing as a set protagonist, but Maybe it's like an old fan fiction holdover <laughs> where you really yeah. like to self-insert. It might, yeah, I, it's very much my vibe. I 100% self-insert into these games and uh, like to, like that was what I liked about Skyrim was this yes. sense of being in the, the holodeck, I suppose right. you could say, um, yeah. wandering through this fantasy world. It was really neat, so... Yeah, no, that's what that is why I got really obsessed with Skyrim because I got really obsessed with this little Khajiit I made. And oh, yeah, her her name was Boots. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> and she, oh my it. god, fun story. I don't know why, but like in the middle of uh, my playthrough as Boots, I thought it'd be funny if I stole the boots of all my murder victims. <laughs> and so now I just have a cabinet in one of my houses with like literally hundreds of boots. <laughs> And it just goes on forever and it never ends if you scroll it. So yeah, that's my, my favorite Skyrim playthrough. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, the joys I, of customer creation, <laughs> of character creation. That's getting into the role, I have to say. It's commitment. It's like, look, that's what we like to see. It's like, that's what we say. That's, that's, reminds, it makes me think of like in D&D. If a DM's like, oh, you're a cat who likes boots. Well, you have to, you have to take the boots from you have to roll yeah. um you have to roll something to stop yourself from trying to steal boots yeah mm-hmm. no that was literally mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. on the character sheet that would be her flaw that she would be like she has to steal every boot mm-hmm. <laughs> and she can't help herself <laughs> the deal just be like uh alex you spot boots or sorry boots you spot boots <laughs> yeah. the entire session eyes widening <laughs> No, I've actually thought about making like converting her to D and D several times because I I forget the D and D equivalent of a Khajiit, but they do have a cat person race. I mean, what RPG doesn't? Everybody wants yeah. to be a cat person. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, Eric, what have you been playing? Well, I can finally talk about it. I've been spending most of the month playing a game called Immortality, and the embargo mm. finally lifted on that this week. Uh, so. For those of you who don't know, it is uh, Sam Barlow's newest game. So creator of Her Story and Telling Lies. Uh, it is a, as as best I can call them, in the same vein of like a puzzle box, where it feels like you're being given this wealth of information about a thing that has happened or like a point in time and like one tool to sift through it. And you have to kind of find the narrative for yourself in that. So if you like detective games, if you like stuff like return of the Oberdin, uh, it's really, really good for that. Uh, the big difference in this one is that her story and telling lies all used a text database where you would kind of type in a search term and it would pull up like five relevant clips that would have that search term related to it in the text somehow, something like that. 
but with immortality it has this really cool tool where at any point while you're watching these clips uh from different archive footage of this actress named marissa marcel who filmed three movies and then disappeared (laughs) under mysterious (laughs) circumstances. You can pause the movie at any point and pull up a clicker and it's kind of like an eyeball and you just like pick what object you want to zoom in on and it will take that object and then do a match cut to a different piece of footage that has the same object or a similar object in it. So you can pick like Marissa's face is an obvious one and you'll then get taken to another one where maybe Marissa's in that scene too, or she's got kind of a similar expression, but maybe you really latch on to an orange in one scene and you want to follow that orange or you see a gun and you're like, Oh, a gun. I should probably follow that. And it becomes this detective story of trying to obviously uncover what happened with Marissa Marcel. Um, but I think like calling it just a detective story kind of like doesn't give it the weight that I think it has. I really like this game. If you can't tell, <laughs> and uh, one of the cool things is that these movies that were filmed, uh, one is in 1968 uh, and it's this very like Euro art film, Uh, but looks like it was made by like the hammer studios that worked on Dracula and all that. It's got that like gorgeous painting backgrounds and stuff like that. It's about uh, a monk who is seduced by the devil and all that. (laughs) And her second movie is in 1970 and it's very American new wave uh, midnight cowboy type stuff, a neo-noir film called Minsky. And then there's a third movie in 1999. That is the most nineties movie I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) And uh, there's so much dedication to not just getting the era correct, but getting period setting correct getting uh the way that people are dressed and acting and and the way these movies are filmed and the way the film looks and the way you move through stuff is through this interface that's kind of made to imitate a moviola machine so like a reel-to-reel thing so you're kind of ratcheting things forward and then ratcheting things back and, and going back and forth like you're scrubbing actual video and my video editor brain really really love that uh I can't talk too much more about it without spoiling things because it's also a horror game and it's really interesting in how they dish that out and how they reveal that to you and how you learn more as you tug those threads. But I think if you've played her story or you like the idea of a, of a detective style game, oh my God, it's so good. It's really ridiculously good. And like six hours, maybe eight hours. If you really want to dig for all the footage, um, quite short I was, yeah and it's on game pass too so like i think oh. it's also headed to netflix as well like netflix managed to pick that one up oh uh, so that's an he, interesting one that's like literally the first time i've thought oh maybe i'll try out netflix's game service yeah i haven't tried out the mobile stuff at all so i don't know how those controls are i used a controller on pc because it feels very mechanical and just feels right to do it with that. I was using mouse and keyboard at some point. It just didn't feel very correct to me. So I used a controller, but yeah, I like can't recommend this one enough. If you like the idea of it, I, I talked to Sam Barlow about this a while ago. I interviewed the team about the game and they talked a lot about how like video is just another way of telling a story in games. And we haven't really explored a lot of that yet. And it feels like there are a lot of FMV games that kind of do the choose your own adventure routes. And they're very 
standard. You know what you're going to get with them if you've played games like, you know, Dr. Decker, Poe and Monroe, those sorts of things, uh, or even older ones like Night Trap and stuff like that. You kind of know what to expect from, from an FMV game. And this is so different and so unique that it feels completely outside the conventions of that genre in and of itself. And it's just a really cool, interesting thing to explore and check out. So yeah, I, I think if you have game pass, you should give it a try. Even if you don't like it, it's really cool to see how that thing works. And it, it really does feel like a really novel, interesting game that I just got lost in for like two weeks and everyone on the discord, please. When you find the thing, when when it clicks when and you will know when something has like shifted over in the game feel free to dm me and let me know how because i would love to hear how that happened because it can happen in so many different ways and i would love to hear how uh so yeah feel free to hit me up on that uh I yeah I, you kind of sold me on it though because especially like i'm also <laughs> like a sucker for like old hollywood too so like oh, the idea of like oh, going yeah. back to like the 60s and stuff like i like that yeah, it's again, I don't want to give away too much of the story content, but there is definitely like an examination of what the studio system and directors did to Hollywood and the kind of mindset that still passed on even as film evolved past the RKO days. Uh, if you are a film buff, this mm-hmm. is like so in your wheelhouse. I cannot imagine anyone who likes film not wanting to play this and enjoy it. It is like they have done their research in terms of what that world was like and how it might affect someone like Marissa Marcel, who is an undiscovered talent who suddenly gets her big break. And you can probably theorize from the way I'm setting that up that it's not all sunshine and daisies. So. <laughs> interesting no because i i'm really into that because i I used to work at variety magazine like early Mm -hmm. in my career so like i'm so super into film history and i've never played i don't think i really ever played detective games before but oh i love i love good you should play her story at least her story yeah i've heard i've heard such good things yeah i i think um 1999 is an interesting date it's a a very specific date um it's kind of considered to be a legendary year for film i should say mm-hmm. uh so yeah to set a game that kind of explicitly is about examining film i suppose um that's a uh mm-hmm. performance something that stands out to me yeah. and 90s movies are like so specific and i can't even really mm-hmm. describe why but like when you're watching a 90s movie there's just a 90s feel to it yes yeah, uh, and and this captures of, that yeah it's quite variable i i always think about how Jurassic Park came in out in like nineteen ninety three and Time Cop came out in like nineteen ninety four. Oh yeah, like comparing comparing yeah. and contrasting the two and just the <laughs> wild gulfs in quality between them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, also my favorite movie of all time, Terminator Two. I think that came out in ninety two, and that's also very different. Yeah, or yeah. was it ninety one yeah. or ninety two? I think it was ninety two. I always. I, I was peg it to 91 because that was about when Rocketeer came out. And I remember I was very excited to see Rocketeer. And I think it was out at the, roughly the same time as Terminator 2 because my dad was like, are you sure you wouldn't want to see Terminator 2? I'm like, no, dad. My mom's going to get mad at us if we go see Terminator 2. I was a very persnickety, very uptight little child. So... <laughs> 
I'm sure oh. your mom appreciated it at least. <laughs> I think I would have been a little traumatized if I had seen uh, Terminator 2 as a uh, eight that year old. T1000. He's a little scary. I no. Yeah. It was a scary movie. It was yeah. very violent. Yeah. It's not as scary as the first Terminator. It's more of an action movie mm. than a horror movie. But th- it still has its moments. I mean, there was that <laughs> scene with like Linda Hamilton on a fence and she like burns alive. That's pretty. That's pretty gnarly. Hmm. Why Terminator 2 and not 1? Oh, I could write a thesis. <laughs> but I first of all, I love the switcheroo to make Arnold Schwarzenegger the hero and not the villain. And obviously, like, the trailers at the time, like, ruined all that. Um, mm-hmm. But still, I love the badass Linda Hamilton. Uh, I re- And I really like Edward Furlong as, like, this little kid who doesn't know what he's gotten into. And I just think the T-1000 is such a cool villain. Like, the idea mm-hmm. of just, like, shape-shifting around something is so scary. And it's like, how are you going to... De- he's, like, one of those, like, unbeatable enemy kind of things that mm-hmm. I'm just so into. And there's just... And there's such good comedy in it. There's such good action. There's, like, this great monologue that Linda Hamilton does about, like men not knowing how to create things it's just it's a perfect mm-hmm. movie but the first is also good no shade to the first no f- i just no fate but what you make it mm-hmm. had more to say maybe than the original Tanner terminator the terminator yes was a chase I, film. I, yeah mm-hmm. i think terminator was just like a good horror action movie and it's like entertaining to watch whereas i feel like terminator 2 like it had a message and it said it mm. i love them both i um, a, a bit of a Terminator 1 stand just because I think it puts Sarah Connor more front and center uh, than Terminator mm-hmm. 2. And I love Sarah Connor going from scared victim to total badass who's literally dragging a Reese, uh, you know, <laughs> with her. And then he dies. And that desperate last fight in the uh, the factory, A+. Plus. S+. Yeah. Plus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kat, have you ever watched uh, the short-lived Fox series, the Sarah, the Sarah Connor Chronicles? I have not, oh. but I've heard things about it, yes. Yeah. I enjoyed it at the time. I I want to revisit it, because um, like I remember liking Summer Glau as the Terminator, although it was a little like unnecessarily sexualized, I recall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I really do like Lena Headey as Sarah Connor. She was, I do know that she was Sarah Connor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's great in that. Wow, it's a good what a choice. cast on Lena Hetty. Yeah, yeah, Pretty and Amelia- Game of Thrones, Lena Hetty. Yeah, and by the <laughs> Amelia Clark would play her, I believe, in Terminator Genesis. So there are two, uh, mm-hmm. two Sarah Connors wow. in the Game of Thrones that's, cast. That's so funny. My I God. <laughs> well, uh, pivoting from Terminator Two. As for me, um, I've been playing when I'm not playing Xenoblade Chronicles. Uh, I've been playing yeah. two games. One of them is Yakuza Like a Dragon, a game that I'm determined to finish. This is my year of finishing things, and mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mostly finished Dragon Quest XI. I'm, I am actually serious about finishing Persona 5, and Yakuza Like a Dragon is very much on my short list. I got to a boss. Um, it's literally a construction machine, like, with the wrecking yep. ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a pain in the butt that, that boss was. He was... Literally within like a hair of dying, and then he got me. It was very annoying. Oh, cat! There are some bosses later in like a dragon that you are going to have a time with, and I just wish you well on this journey to beat this game <laughs> in a bad oh. way. Yeah, there are 
two of the biggest boss fights in like a dragon are also infamous for being giant roadblocks to any amount of progression in that game. Mm. So they're, they're really cool. They're really neat, but Oh, Oh Lord. Oh, yeah. I think we've talked about this. You're not like a huge fan of like crazy difficult games, right? I I like them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into them. I mean, I beat Elden Ring, so I mean, yeah, um, that'll prove it. <laughs> I beat Bloodborne earlier this year, so I, I guess that's the bar for pretty hard games at this yeah. point. I think the thing with Yakuza like a the dragon hardest is I do is the... Cuphead. Oh, that's that's no joke. Cuphead's yeah. really hard. Yeah, it's the game that's known for being hard. Yeah, like respect. Like if you can beat Cuphead, seriously. Um, mm-hmm. I think my thing with Yakuza Like a Dragon's battle system is that the battles themselves tend to last a little long uh, for my taste. So it gets yeah. to be a bit, bit of a grind actually taking those bosses down. But um, I've also been playing Cult of the Lamb, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I I went in expecting sort of something akin to Hades. And instead, I got really disturbing Stardew Valley or The Sims, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar with the we've talked about cult of the lamb you played it right eric i have not well i played a demo of it at pax and i think i talked about it then but i haven't played the the finished build yet because i've just been involved with other stuff i haven't really gotten around to it uh i've i don't know if i brought it up on this podcast but i started playing cult of the lamb just because i got a code and i started playing it and it's one of those games, it's kind of like Xenoblade in that it's just holding on to me. I'm like, well, mm. I want to keep playing this, so I'm going to keep going. And the, the premise is that you're a lamb who dies who, who, uh, to this religious cult and gets revived by basically Cthulhu, the, the great chained one in the underworld. And you are sent out to create a cult. And you go into these dungeons and you create recruit followers and convert them to your cult. And they go and dutifully work for you, but they they have their own thoughts and their own ambitions and their own feelings. And they get old and they die and then you can resurrect them and then they can get old and they can die again. And uh, they have their own individual traits and everything. You can go to your temple and you can preach to them to give them uh, individual powers and that kind of thing. And it's very dark, but also very funny. And the art is fantastic um i'm playing it on nintendo switch and i don't think the combat's amazing i think the combat is kind of simple fairly floaty like the dodge roll is like a bit much but i think that the actual simulation elements kind of elevate elevate this one so as far as roguelites go i'm digging it i'm into cult of the lamb yeah so does it have like a friendship mechanic kind of like stardew valley does the, a loyalty mechanic. Or, yeah, you're yeah. saying like a romance, mm-hmm. like kind of. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Um, it I does, sure. but it's not the way you're thinking. Okay. It's it's more like I think you can marry one of your followers, but it's more like that's a simulation oriented thing, you know, to like boost stats and stuff like that, rather than being some sort of like playing stardew and be like oh i like this person i want to spend time with it's it's not like that it's cult of the lamb's whole thing is being cute but insidious and so it's it is cute the animals get married but it is insidious so (laughs) (laughs) it does have fishing 
which is so oh important. i love fishing that's, that's crucial yeah, yeah. I love and the fishing, fishing mechanic is not that different from stardew valley actually i think it obviously took inspiration are you a, a stardew valley fan alex it huge like huge stardew fan i mean i'm a fan of life sims in general which i really mm-hmm. didn't know that cult of the lamb was um it's, mu- it's much more of that like you do go into a dungeon oh. and you fight and stuff but the light i would say the the simulation aspect is stronger than that See, that's the best sell I've heard about this game for me because I get really sucked into games like Stardew and The Sims. I spend a lot more time tooling around my village, kind of managing my individual people. You walk up to them and you give them a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, they give you quests and they'll be like, hey, hey, and this other follower, I want them to eat poop. And so you give them a bowl of poop and they'll get sick and they'll be like, ha ha. And then their, their lo- loyalty will go up and that kind of thing. Um, when you get back from defeating an, a boss, you take their heart and you like eat it or something, and okay. everybody yep. stands around and cheers very <laughs> in a very cute fashion. Yay! Oh, I love um, that. It's grisly. Uh, you can get you you can do a, a a ritual sacrifice of your followers to gain more power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're all very excited about that too. Yay! They all clap. So, That's important. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds. But so then cute. you can bring them back to life. It's okay. Oh, no one's ever really dead. <laughs> it's all good. Don't worry. He's coming back. They live, they die, they live again. It's okay. <laughs> it's it's just a prank. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> just a little joke. All right. Dang, that so be that is, yeah, I mean, you should, y'all should go check it out. I think uh, Cult and Lamb, I'm going to be playing that one for a while. So. Yeah. But... That is what we have been playing, and now it's time for a series of random encounters. We'll be very soon finding out the future of Cyberpunk 2077 as a stream will be happening next week. Xbox Xbox Game Pass Friends and Family is confirmed and will likely cost $25 in the US. Um, Basically, you can get Game Pass and you can have a bunch of friends uh, to cut down on the price. Nintendo Switch Online has something similar. Um, It's a really good value, I think, for a fantastic service. Xseed will release Trinity Trigger in early 2023 for PS5, PS4, and Switch. It includes music from Hiroki Kikuta, a story by Octopath Traveler's Yura Kubota. And it looks a lot like Secret of Vana. It's a three-player action RPG. This one came to my attention from a few Secret of Mana fans, so we should show it to Nadia. Um, the Pokemon company sued a Chinese clone seeking 500 million yuan in a public apology. And a new Pokemon has been revealed, a Graphi-Eye, a moody Pokemon with a fastidious disposition it doesn't form packs, and it prefers to roam alone. It's a poison normal monkey, and it uh, sets up poison traps. Its ability is unburden, poison touch, and uh, it has kind of gross, goopy fingers, like kind of like saliva on them. I'm not, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of gross. Yeah. Not. Are, are you a are you a Pokemon fan, Alex? I am a huge Pokemon fan. And I was curious. This, this is what I like to hear. You'd fit in Dude. really well on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Pokemon, I always say if I could play one franchise for my entire life, it would be Pokemon. Also, there's a really? lot of it. So I feel, wow. yeah. Oh, it, I don't know if I would be in games at all if it weren't for Pokemon. Like I got red and blue and everything came after. 
Um, but is poison normal a new type? I don't know if I can think of any. Pokemon I don't know if I've known too many poison normal, like poison slash normal types. Yeah. No, I've gotten really yeah. into the poison type in the past few generations. Really? Yeah. I mean, it helps that it's good against fairy. Kind of punk. It's super kind of punk. punk yeah, type. and there was there was like a wasn't there like some kind of gym leader? I think in like Sun and uh, no Sword and Shield that was like kind of yeah. like a punk poison. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I kind of like it. I listen to them. I've always I've always rolled fire type for a lot of the time. Fire and steel is where I Ooh. tend to fall with a lot of my types. So steel's mm. just so good defensively. Yeah, less so than it used to be. But True. I, I for whatever reason, um, I don't like fairy type very much. Maybe because it's the newer the newest type. I will say a lot of fairy Pokemon look really cheesy to me. Um, although, you know what I really enjoyed was Alolan Ninetales, Ice Fairy, such a cool type, such a good move set too. And just looks cool. Ninetales is like my favorite Pokemon. So playing it in a new way was very exciting. Mm -hmm. But our main topic this week is it's fantasy television season. We've got two absolutely massive fantasy shows out now, House of the Dragon and Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. By the time you hear this episode, House of the Dragon episode three will be out. And uh, Rings of Power, I don't know when that one uh, airs, Alex. Friday night. Or no, Thursday nights. Very late Thursday. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite memories is San Diego Comic-Con where we had a diet... We had an entire stage with all of the cast, this absolutely enormous cast, and you had to memorize all of their names 21 names and it's not like brad pitt like were there easy names to... no yes i had to interview all of them and they made me intro all of them and uh i had to redo it like three times <laughs> it was so embarrassing but the cast was so sweet and i had like with and it was like a two-part interview and both times they sat like the nicest actor next to me and he just kept on being like you're doing amazing sweetie <laughs> So the sweetest cast in the world. So I was really rooting for this show to be good. And thank goodness, I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, I saw at least one review calling Rings of Power what, like, it makes House of the Dragon look like amateur hour. Do you, like, agree with that sentiment? No, I think think they both look really, really big budget and fantastic. Like, that's one thing that I feel like you can't really argue with. I think which one you prefer comes down to personal preference. Um, I'm really enjoying both. I think House of the Dragon is going to be maybe a slower burn. Um, Although I'm really enjoying the dragons. Uh, But I'm preferring Rings of Power so far just because I feel like I just prefer Tolkien to George R. R. Martin. I like Mm -hmm. that kind of like Mm -hmm. sense of like hope, I guess. And there's like a certain lightness to Rings of Power, despite the high stakes and despite like all the death and tragedy. And I feel like I just kind of prefer that. But that said, I still think House of the Dragon is good so far. I still think it's well, well made and I'm excited to see where it goes. The the, the through line of, the, of Rings of Power is that they're fighting Sauron the first time, right? Yeah, so basically like, and, like, it starts out with Galadriel being, like, there's still a threat. And everyone's like, Galadriel, calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't really... Settle seen... down, Galadriel. Settle down, Galadriel. What do you know? <laughs> Stop being yeah. hysterical, Galadriel. <laughs> Literally. And then they send her away on a ship because she's being hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, 
And then, so I guess like the ideas you're going to see, I would assume you're, we're going to see like the making of the rings. We're going to see, you know, Kella Brimbor being manipulated by Anatar. Um, and so those, there's a lot of events that I, I think we're going to see coming and we're going to see the fall of Numenor, I think. I mean, spoilers for a hundred year old book, but um, yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. I think we've talked many times on this podcast about the importance of Lord of the Rings to mm -hmm. the role-playing genre in general, because uh, we did the Summer of the Rings last year we, where we rewatched the, the Peter Jackson trilogy oh. and everything. Yeah, it was a lot Some of fun, of my actually. Favorite and we watched movies. The Hobbit. Yeah, I mean, they're wonderful still. They hold up. Mm -hmm. And I reread the books uh, just recently. And spoiler alert, the Lord of the Rings books hold up too. It's pretty amazing, actually. But I, yeah, like the, the importance of Lord of the Rings to RPGs in general, I don't think uh, can be overstated. The The difference is, hmm, Rings of Power costs like, what, $700 million, I think? But it feels like I'm diving into the codex of Dragon Age for example, mm -hmm. with this series where you're just like mentioning Anatar and, and Celebrimbor yeah. and uh, characters that they contractually cannot mention because uh, they do not have the rights to them. They would have to pay extra money to do it. So, um, yeah. and I'm just wondering if it's able to be accessible enough to audiences, you know? I mean, they've got the hook because it's Lord of the Rings and people will naturally tune in out of curiosity, but Oh my gosh, they I think that they're at a, a disadvantage to House of the Dragon in that regard. I would agree with that. And have you watched the first two episodes yet? I've not. I watched your review. You said Thank episode you. one was uh, shall we say, a lot of setup? A lot of setup, and it kind of touches on that exact thing that you were just talking about, Kat, about like being accessible to new audiences while also trying to like keep hardcore fans. I think like and one thing that I kept on thinking while watching the first episode is like, this is really exciting for me to see all of this play out. But if I didn't know a gosh dang thing about any of this, I think you were just saying a bunch of elven magical words at me. <laughs> so like that's and that's like why I like kind of docked a point off um, was because like, I don't know how accessible this is. And it's like just a lot of exposition dump really quickly. Um, if you don't mind a lore dump, then you're going to be fine. Um, but that first episode definitely worried me in the accessibility department. But the second episode totally hooked me. And I think it's going to be a sell to a lot of people because it just starts being a really great show on its own. Like, and yes, there are little things that you can dig into on the lore. And I've really been enjoying like today going through like some of my YouTube channels that I follow and watching them kind of like pull it apart. Um, also really interesting. They're already like, I, I've already seen a couple examples of, of like things they don't have rights to. So they <laughs> just have to like brush over it, which I think will be like really kind of like a fun game throughout the entire run. Um, but I, to answer your thought, I think the second episode gave me a lot more hope about it being more accessible, but at the same time, everyone loves Game of Thrones. <laughs> so House of the Dragon has that going for it. Uh, do they all love I will say that I haven't started House of Dragons because I'm still feeling kind of burnt by Game of Thrones in general. And I don't know if I'm going to end up watching it just because I think on one hand, I I do like the idea of going to a different part of that mythos and exploring it. But 
even before the last season of Game of Thrones and, and everyone kind of knows how that shook out and all that, there were things about Game of Thrones that I was liking less and less as the series went on. And I think that's why I watched the first half of the first episode of Rings of Power before I hopped on here. And uh, I kind of liked it a bit more just because it felt more adventure fantasy. It felt more like RPG in a way that there was this idea of adventure and grand uh, like landscapes and, and, you know, untamed wilds where everything's dangerous and all that. Whereas Game of Thrones from what I've heard from house of dragons is still a lot of politicking and moving pieces on a chessboard, And I just don't know that I'm ready to get mm. reinvested in that side of game of Thrones after it burned me <laughs> the first time around. So I think, uh, you know, I've been, I went in pretty skeptical of house of the dragon or hot D as we like to call it around here. <laughs> um, but I, I, um, I, I was kind of watching it ironically in some ways. I was like, oh, watch this. There's no way it'll be good. Um, it's such a cynical project. And But I was watching it with a friend of mine, and I was just like, okay, I'm kind of back in. Oh, no. The first episode's so violent. Mm. Oh, yes. my gosh. Uh, and uh, there's that one scene, Alex, that... Oh, like, I, I, like... I literally watched it through my fingers and I never do that. Like I never like turn away, but I had to turn away. (laughs) And I guess I was really, it left me like feeling a little blue screen of death, uh, thinking a lot about that entire scene and putting myself in her shoes and everything. And there's that one moment where they pull her down on the bed and she kind of yelps and she's asking, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I'm just, I can't, I cannot, I simply cannot. So it was, it was a lot. It was definitely a lot. And then of course they had the wagon full of body parts. Mm-hmm. They had a sex. Casual castration, you know. That's, I, I like sometimes going into the dark fantasy stuff, but I think where it lost me for Game of Thrones is that it went from being, we are dark sometimes and we pull that card to like really emphasize something like the end of the first episode of way back in game of Thrones, you know, with the, the tower and all that, like Mm -hmm. they would play that card and it would feel impactful because of it. And then by like season five, it was like, Oh look, what new atrocities will we find this week? Let's find out. It was the same thing that happened with the walking dead where Yes. I enjoyed early Walking Dead because like tragedy felt very important and entire seasons would build up to it. Even though I thought the second season was a whole problem, I liked that there was like a buildup to how bad a thing could be. And in Game of Thrones, it was like, look how many bad things we get back into an episode. And I just, that's maybe not for me right now. It lost its thread, but also the showrunners from Game of Thrones are long gone. And they brought on couple of the best directors from the original show to make this i think house of the dragon benefits a from having a complete story to be based upon Mm. and at least initially a tighter focus i think um Mm. Mm -hmm. even by like episode two i feel like they were introducing so many characters and so many things and doing so much world building here the world is already established i know what's going on with House of the Dragon, or well, I, I know what's going on with Westeros. I know the different players and everything. And there's only a handful of 
characters, it stayed very tightly focused on the Targaryens and what's going on in King's Landing, and it hasn't shifted to too many different storylines. And I think that's to its benefit to it so far, at least. It's really interesting, though, because like you think about like Rings of Power, and it's almost kind of playing out in the structure that the original Game of Thrones did. Whereas House of the Dragon is more like focused and central than like Game of Thrones ever was. Because like you were saying, mm. like it's really not focused on any plots, but the Targaryens and this whole like fight for the throne and will Rhaenyra do it or will she not? I'm really excited to see what happens at the halfway point of the season though, because that's when the big time jump happens. And that's when like the, the lead women will be recast because they've aged so much. much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, and of course, like Matt Smith will still be there. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you think they're going to keep Matt Smith and oh, yeah. everybody else out? <laughs> <laughs> no, Matt Smith, Matt Smith signed up for the season. You paid for Matt Smith. You're going to use all the Matt yeah. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> and I do, you, think, do you like Amelia yeah. Clark or do you like um, the, the, the lead in House of the Dragon? I can't remember her name. I, I like both. And I'm actually really sad that we're going to lose Millie, Millie Alcock is the um, is yeah. area. I'm, I'm really sad that we're going to lose her to the time jump because I think she's doing a phenomenal job. I think that's one thing I will not complain about in House of the Dragon. I just think the cast is phenomenal. I think Patty mm. Considine is doing a really good job of yeah. kind of like do yeah, like kind of like painting Viserys as like I think you like he's like kind of like a loser a little bit, but like he's like kind of well-intentioned but also like kind of he's playing with like, his models. He likes yeah. his Warhammer figures, okay? Yeah, like he like <laughs> pretends to be like so nice, but then he just like I I don't want to talk spoilers, but then he does that thing in that first episode. And it's like, there's a lot of layers to him. And I think Patty Considine is playing it really, really well. It's a fantastic cast. He wants to be nice. He wants people to like him. And he kind of just wants to live his life. But he's being, he's the kind of guy who somebody comes in the room and says, you should do this. And he's like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And somebody else goes, you should do this. And he's like, I'm going in the other direction. You've convinced me, you know. He's like the most I'm a, evil man. Oh, he's a pe- he's a people pleaser. He's a yeah. people pleaser. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. He liked his he, wife. He he was yeah. very tender with his wife and everything. But then, you know, somebody gets in his face. He's like, it's time to make a decision. He's like, I'm panicking. Oh, my God. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And, you know, House of the Dragon is full of uh, weak, weak, weak kings, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's. It's very similar to Game of Thrones in a lot of ways. Like it looks pretty much the same. It kind of like hmm. moves in the same kind of pacing, but like worst dragons. CGI is worse for the dragons. No, I, I like the dragons. You don't think the you like the dragons in this one? I do. Okay. Have you watched the second okay. episode? I have. Yeah, yeah. You don't I mean, think the dragons- okay, I agree. When the dragons showed up in episode two, no spoilers. Yeah. I agree that that first of all that was a phenomenal scene. Very well. Best done. scene of the season and- so far. Yeah, I agree. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here. And this is really cool. And I agree that I thought in the first episode, I was like, I think the dragon is taking a step down in terms of CG compared to Game of Thrones. But uh, I do agree. They looked better in episode two. It's no cheaper than Game of Thrones. I'll tell you that much. I think it's actually more yeah. expensive. It's worked out for HBO, though, because they've got like 10 million for the first episode and then even more for the second episode. But Oh, yeah. And I, it's been renewed. So they're doubling down. Oh, oh yeah. 
all right, there's no way that it wasn't going to get renewed. Unless, oh, no. I was like, so, like, unless it was animated. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> too soon. Oh, I mean, Warner Brothers needs any win it can get at this point, right? Yeah. I was just happy they renewed Harley Quinn, that show. I oh, I didn't that. see that. Oh, thank God. I was kind of yeah. surprised. I was too. I, I kind of thought it was a goner. Like, I was very pleasantly surprised to see that it survived. Uh, for... For people who don't, who aren't super familiar with this or have been following entertainment very closely, WB Discovery, uh, they've been having a time recently. Um, They canceled Batgirl, much to the anger of a lot of people, a lot of shock with that move. And then they came out with this really dystopian uh, kind of a call where they were basically like, look, we're not making stuff for women. We got to emphasize the guys here. And we're going... Hard on superheroes. We're going to get our own Kevin Feige in here. We're cutting the animated series on HBO Max. They were just dropping tons of shows out of the blue. And creators were going, what are you doing? They're like, look, we just don't want to pay residuals, okay? Yeah. So... It's a mess. And there's like, literally, there's like a slide where it's like, HBO Max, male skewing, uh, Discovery Plus, or whatever that's called. Female women. skewing. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, women can't keep up with scripted series. <laughs> we can yeah. only watch our home and garden shows. We like reality television. That's I'm just saying this. You yeah. know, I just need to watch my Real Housewives or whatever the hell's on Discovery. I don't, I don't really watch <laughs> Discovery. I do. I do watch like the occasional reality show, but none of it is on Discovery. Like I'll watch F Boy Island all day, but that's, I was gonna say I think I watch more reality shows than you do, Kat, because I'm the one who loves the Circle, which is the best garbage I love the to consume. Too. It's so, such good garbage. garbage. It's such good garbage. So it's they take a bunch of people and they put them in an apartment complex and they have to stay like sequestered in their rooms. I think the first season came out during the pandemic or like right around when the pandemic started, so it was really weird timing but they can only talk to each other via this fake social media called the circle app. And so you have people who go in trying to be their genuine selves. It's got that big brother, like who's allying with who, who's friends with who, but it's got the the twist of you can catfish people if you want to. And people go into (laughs) the circle with like pictures of their like, hot friend or significant other or whatever and pretend to be someone else because they think it will make them more popular and if the idea of gamified social media relationships is interesting to you at all the circle is just such good garbage it's delicious garbage it's like everyone just trying to be everyone's best friend and not saying anything to like piss anyone off but then like also like kind of talking smack behind their backs it's like Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, there's an IGN alum on it. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Jackie Jing uh, was on. She used to be a host at IGN, and she was on the most recent okay. season. Yeah. I, I did not know that. Well. That's so funny, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, um, uh, it's like you said, it's very good garbage. Very good. Turn your brain off and watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think the last, um, what was the last reality show that I was really invested in? Um Make it work. I don't remember um, at this point. Project Runway. That oh, was the one. Yeah. Yeah. Designers <laughs> make it work. Saying, yeah. Designers yes. make it work. Yeah. 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 Make it work. I was I was very into that one mm-hmm. during its mm-hmm. heyday. So, yeah. Um, in terms of t- just to bring it back really quickly mm-hmm. um, with House of the Dragon and Rings of Power, I think the thing that's interesting to me is, Alex, um, 
genre television, as you well know, has fully taken over Mm -hmm. television at this point and movies, honestly, Mm -hmm. to the point that VFX studios are just completely overwhelmed and completely swamped. I, I think the juxtaposition of having what three epic final final fantasy three epic fantasy shows (laughs) on tv between what wheel of time lord of the rings yeah right and And also uh and how's the dragon and also it's less like traditional medieval fantasy but i would still call the sandman a fantasy and that was really good yeah Mm yeah no yeah i could see that it's not like dragon's fantasy but like yeah it's kind of defies genres in a lot of ways it, it kind of does like i don't know a lot how of ways. i would define it but yeah it's it's crazy and i i kind of like had like a think about it last week um and i like wrote like a little column about it because i was thinking about like the first season of game of thrones and like if you really think about the first season of game of thrones and think about like how many like magical creatures and beasts and spells like there's not a lot in that first season or even the first two seasons i feel like it was probably all was also a budget thing, but it was like it felt like they were kind of like lulling fantasy skeptics into this like false sense of security. Like it's not a fantasy show; it's like medieval drama with a spell here and there. But like <laughs> to like see House of the Dragon just come in hot with a freaking dragon and like that first scene, I was like, mm-hmm. fantasy is not like it's not something you're trying to hide anymore. It's like it's the cell. We're here for the dragons. Like we're <laughs> here for the silly magic stuff, and it's like. As a big fantasy person, like, I just, like, I got a little in my feelings about it. I was like, damn, like, we really made it, fantasy nerds. Like, this is, <laughs> this is our time. I feel like we talked what I'm about saying it. Is, what I'm saying is fantasy or television has finally caught up with RPGs. Oh, always, okay. yeah, yeah. always understood how great, which was grounded in fantasy in so many ways. And fantasy lit, especially mm-hmm. Tolkien. So welcome, television. We missed you. Just pull up a chair. This is great. Mm-hmm. Hollywood's a little late, you know. <laughs> yeah, better late than never, though. <laughs> we talked about it on the Tanami episode, but like the generation that was skeptical of this stuff is aging out, and the generation that was raised for better or worse on D and D and anime and stuff like that is all of you know particular target. We are the target demographic now. We're in that window that advertisers did it. shoot for we made we it did it nerds. yeah we finally kicked <laughs> out those olds good job uh so yeah it is it's a weird time to like see things that normally would have been not so mainstream be the thing that is targeted and marketed and all that it's interesting but i also think yeah. it's like a matter of like technology and budgets catching up with it yes. like you yeah. look back at like lord of the rings and that was like unprecedented budget wise for mm-hmm. its time. And that's just not going to happen a lot. And now we're at a point where we have two, at least two, actually that, like you said, like three, at least really expensive, really well done fantasy shows. Like that just, I, I don't think that could have happened like 10 years ago. Well, you can blame or, or thank Lord of the Rings back in the 2003 mm-hmm. or whatever, which mainstreamed epic fantasy in so many yeah. ways that and Harry Potter yeah, I'd argue. No, we're gonna we're gonna thank Lord of the Rings and leave it there. That's all good. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's just thank Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah and then of course, <laughs> and Game of Thrones. Yeah, and the MCU. Honestly, which made nerd culture cool. Like the 2000s, just this is how we got here. But 
I, yeah, no, like, uh, you know, back in the 90s, playing RPGs and that kind of thing, it's it's hard to imagine a show that could be the equivalent of Baldur's Gate <laughs> being on TV. Yeah. Um, that, which leads me to ask a very, very dumb question, but I'm just kind of, it's been weighing in the back of my mind this entire discussion. If House of the Dragon is Dragon Age, what does that make Rings of Power? What, is there an RPG equivalent to Rings of Power? That's such a good question. As I'm thinking, very large, complicated, dense, dense mechanics, huge, huge cast, lots of quests to do, slow start. I would feel like, I would almost feel like Dragon Age is more like Rings of Power than House of mm-hmm. the Dragon because of how much more sprawling it is. Because like mm. we were saying, House of the Dragon is very like, I mean, I guess you could say that's like your base. Well, but it leans into the politics. That's true. And There's the a lot sex. Of yeah. yeah. And the blood. I, Especially I the original. Maybe like a divinity, like a divinity original sin type thing, mm. maybe. I'm trying to think of tyranny. something with like the no. oh tyranny is not a bad tyranny is Game of Thrones but like a very a very CRPG but like a classic CRPG. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of something really just that. Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. Yeah, I even that I don't know. I don't know if it's that dense. I'm curious. That's the thing. There's so there's so little that is as dense as Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I like Ruka saying he used a lot of the same words that you might use for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. What about <laughs> Final Fantasy 14? <laughs> I'm just saying. I feel like a Final Fantasy game like might kind of mm. fit. Not everything is Final Fantasy 14, yeah. but it like 14's <laughs> world has that level of lore. Or or like maybe even, I don't know, like a Final Fantasy. 12 like a world that's like really robust and developed and you have factions world of warcraft honestly might not be that far off i mean so. skyrim even i mean the lore is so deep in skyrim yeah but skyrim it is, it is the the fusro da and the the viking northern nordic stuff always makes me think game of thrones more than lord of the rings mm. maybe like a morrowinds from from elder scrolls oh, like maybe. One of the earlier ones yeah when i think rings of power i think intense world building Huge ensemble cast, mm-hmm. big events, lots of things happening, getting really, really, really deep into the lore. And so I'm just trying to think of a an RPG developer who does that pretty reliably and doesn't necessarily care about accessibility. I think Bioware really cares about um, accessibility. That's why my brain went over to like Pathfinder and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, something where they're directly saying like, hey, we made what is basically a playable D&D campaign. And if you're down mm-hmm. with that, you're going to know what's going on. If you're not down with that, you're going to have a rough 10 hours getting started. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, guess you could say Witcher 3 in some ways. So again. I thought Witcher 3 because they do have like it. That also has the lore of the books in it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it kind of makes maybe- sense. Maybe even like a Witcher. No, Witcher 2 is so Game of Thrones, though. Assassins of Kings. Like, that's all about succession and political intrigue and stuff. Whereas 3 is more of like an actual war is happening. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I suppose Larian in some ways, like with Baldur's Gate 3. Like, I don't feel like Larian is afraid to go hard at this point. 
or a game like Path of Exile? Maybe, maybe. Baldur's Gate 3 is going to destroy my life when that game comes out. Y'all are not going to see me for like two weeks minimum. I will just disappear and I'll come back (laughs) with like a Jumanji beard. I hope they implement really good um, controls so that I can play it on my Steam Deck. It is. I don't think it's verified, but I think it's like confirmed at least playable on Steam Deck. And I I wouldn't be surprised to see it be verified by launch. I think it isn't verified just because it's still early access. So Ruka was throwing out Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics. And I was just like, Mm. that's still in the politics realm. Um. I mean, there are politics in Lord of the Rings. The the first episode yeah. of Rings of Power really kind of leans into, like, Elrond being kind of this, like... I mean, Galadriel actually calls him a politician. So there's a there's a hint of that there. Yeah, there's there's a big thing in Lord of the Rings about the, the quote-unquote good guys having to convince each other that evil is a threat. That's, like, a core tension in early Lord of the Rings is that a lot of the factions don't want to band together and don't even really believe that Sauron's around. And you, you have that tension running up as like, they can't build the big force yet. Cause they have to get everyone on board. They got to convince Treebeard to go knock Saruman's tower over and all that. So. Mm-hmm. Elden yeah. ring. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, Elden ring. Yeah. Yeah. Elden ring. <laughs> when in doubt, Elden ring. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'm leaning towards the Witcher three. Just, and I haven't played The Witcher 2, so that might be better fitting. But, like, just the idea of, like, how rich that lore is, I kind of lean towards it. But it doesn't have as big a cast as Rings of oh, Power does. I, Ultima. But Ultima. Ultima okay. in some, yeah. Ultima's yeah. in some ways more Narnia, but, man, that game went hard. That game went hard <laughs> on the lore in so many ways. It did not care if you did not understand what the heck was going on. It was obsessed with that, so... I, <laughs> Yeah, Rings of Power might be like the 80s RPG. Okay. Not even 90s, oh. like 80s. That's a, that's a good pitch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down. Yeah, because yeah, the 80s they, RPGs were kind of like that, where you're in or you're out. Yeah. Like it just, maybe it just picked up those sensibilities and decided to make something as dense and as ar- hardcore and, and intense. And more modern RPGs fit into the, the House of the Dragon kind of mold. Like mm. we were just. We were throwing out Witcher, we were throwing out Bioware games and Skyrim, yeah. and I'm like, this is all this is all very Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, they love yeah, to I go say, with the politics and everything. Yeah. So the Bioware, the Bioware model, I it is very like Game of Thronesy political. So yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. good. Well, I'm glad we decided on that. If you have <laughs> <laughs> if you have your own thoughts, dear listener, I would love to hear if uh, if you have a better fit. Rings of Power or House of the Dragon, honestly, and also share your thoughts on which one you're enjoying. Either way, um, I th- I consider both shows kind of RPG adjacent. I think they're yeah. appealing mm, to yeah, RPG yeah. fans. Yeah, RPGs. whenever I watch something like Lord of the Rings, I always think of it as like my own personal D&D campaign, and that's just how I enjoy it. And you can definitely do that more with, I think, Rings of Power than you can with House of the Dragon. Mm. Very much so. I'm I'm watching House of the Dragon. I haven't gotten to Rings of Power, but I do intend to watch Rings of Power as well. I like Lord of the Rings. I'm just going to watch it, okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will say, like, I, I'm into it. A lot of a lot of people are into it. You might like mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see what you think. Hey, folks, it's Kat. We're jumping into the very first item of Avatar segment. I just want to warn you that spoiler limiters are off. 
So if you don't want spoilers, I would recommend going right to the end or hey, go listen to, go watch the first six episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender and join us on this big old Avatar The Last Airbender journey. Okay, let's go. Well, speaking of things I might end up liking, it's time now for Eric's big moment, the moment that he's been anticipating for quite a while at this point. It's the autumn of Avatar, folks. We've hit September. We are going to start watching Avatar, The Last Airbender. We're in book one of the show. We watched the first six episodes. And I don't know, like, should we should we just individual should we start with why you two love Avatar so much, or should I just jump into what I thought of like the first six episodes? Oh, you make that sound so bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean... Let's set the table. Let's set the table. Yeah. Um, Eric, this is your show. It is? What is it happen? about <laughs> What is it about Avatar? Uh, first of all, what's your history with Avatar and how did it grab you? Oh, I mean, it's hard to like pin down when exactly I started watching Avatar because it was definitely one of the ones that I just jumped onto as it was airing. So I, I ended up... It was back in that day and age where... Again, like we talked about on the Toonami episode, you could kind of jump in to a show and maybe have missed some of the setup, but you learned pieces quick. And I love that the intro to Avatar The Last Airbender is maybe one of the most succinct and accurate, like, let's get you up to speed really quick. Like, there were once four nations, then the Fire Nation attacked, only the Avatar can save the world. Boom, you're caught up. Good job. And it works. It, it I got up to speed super quick. And so... I I want to say I probably started watching around when book two was airing uh, and it was big uh, even at the time as a kid show when I was in God, what I've been I was in school at the time. I don't know what year it was, but I was in school. At the oh, time. God, um, you're such a perfect target demographic. But I was that. I was over yeah. I was over the age that would have nor- normally been but watching you were in high school. Nickelodeon. Oh my yeah, God. but you don't watch Nickelodeon in high school. I was watching Nickelodeon in high school. Come on. I, I It was big in high school, I feel Unless like. you got your wisdom teeth out and you were watching SpongeBob. That's like the <laughs> I was watching so much Rocco's Modern Life in high school. I'm just going to say that. Oh, that was like so. a dirty one, though, secretly, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty yeah. good. Uh, but I think my Avatar love really started actually when Korra came out, because I had heard that Korra was happening, and this was when I was in college. And I've told the story on here about how I would go over to my friend's place and we'd watch the episodes every week. And I think watching Korra then gave me more of an appreciation for the old Avatar. But this is the first time I've actually gone back to rewatch. Uh, I've rewatched Korra tons of times, but I've never gone back to rewatch the original Avatar since I first saw it. So I am really curious to see if it holds up the way I think it does. And also to now see it through the the lens of somebody who is watching it for the first time and maybe doesn't know where so many of these characters are going to go, how the series is going to develop, how it kind of finds itself, especially early on. Uh, we've already had some chatter in Autumn of the Avatar channel about some of that. And I'm interested to see that develop as we get further into the fall. But yeah, uh, Avatar is... I think one of the better, what I would call like YA series out there, like young adult animation series that really feels like it's targeted towards that group and speaks to what Nickelodeon animation could have been 
had they kept going down that trail, kind of like Samurai Jack. Like I put them alongside each other. Like they are not similar in style, but they very much tried to target a certain group that was not just kids, like young kids. They were trying to hit that YA range and it it worked really, really well. And then Nickelodeon got scared because two girls fall in love and they were like, shut it all down. <laughs> and so now Avatar is just in a weird nebulous space or I guess we're getting movies and stuff now, but for a while it was, it's just weird. So. Wow. That's really dark. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Once we go fully down the Avatar hole, you're you going to learn all the ways in which this series was really good. And Nickelodeon was afraid of how good it was getting. Yeah. No, that's, that's actually very true. Like, cause I wasn't like watching, I got into Avatar late in its run. I feel like the only, um, book that I watched in Avatar in like real time was like the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time Corey came out, I was like, I'm going to watch this every week. And like, I remember it being very difficult to find, like to watch every week, which was so yes. odd. Like, especially by the final season, it was like, where where do I watch this? I have to go to like Nickelodeon.com and do all this weird stuff. Um, They were really scared of it, which is a shame. But I mean, the bright side is like the Avatar verse is thriving now. (laughs) There's movies and games and a Netflix live action series. And yeah, that's a a brief, uh, a brief lowdown on my exposure to Avatar. I also started hearing about it in high school, um, got into it late in the game and just, it was like, after Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, it was like my my one of my first real introductions to like a big fantasy world that was like really yeah. well built out. And I like and that's the thing, like the Avatar world is so rich, like mm-hmm. the characters are mm-hmm. great and all the mechanics are great. But like there is such like and I and I haven't even read like the graphic novels and stuff, which I heard people really like. Um, but I just got really into this world and I just thought bending was a cool concept and it's simple and it's easy to get into and it's funny and the animation looked really good at the time. I, I still think it does. It's charming. It does a great yeah. job of laying yeah. out its rules right from the start, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I mean, yeah, I agree, Eric. It like really establishes its premise <clears throat> immediately. It's like, okay, it's fire, water, earth, air. Okay. Yeah. I totally understand that. <laughs> yep. 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 Air, Fire Nation bad. <laughs> yeah. Fire Nation bad. I, I think George Takei of... is in the Fire Nation, apparently. Didn't realize that. <laughs> I, forgot about that. <laughs> I, I think one of the coolest things that Avatar does, and even why I would say I think it's more of an interesting magic than most other media out there, but especially things like Harry Potter and all that, is that each fu- like bender moves very differently. And so even if you don't recognize their like garb, because they use garb to usually kind of signify what nation people are from, you know, earthbenders will usually wear green, uh, waterbenders wear blue and, and, uh, but the way they fight I thought earthbenders were yellow. Cause we've no, seen no, some airbenders, earthbenders. airbenders are yellow. Air, airbenders are yellow and orange. Uh, oh. like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Earthbenders are like very nature, like natural colors, like a mossy green and like a deep brown, like, like soil and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fire vendors are basically the empire. Like yes. they have stormtroopers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they all fight very differently. Like the way a firebender bends fire looks very different from the way that Katara looks when she's bending water or how an earthbender might fight. Uh, they actually did a lot of research into 
different styles of martial arts and, and the way that they moved and used their limbs and bodies to create these not just distinct, you know, bending styles, but also like physical movements that make sense for them and and really does make it feel like it has that level of mastery, that level of someone has really learned over the years to move their body in the right way and and to master a form as well as the actual like magic they are casting. So it's not just somebody going like stupendo and then like things happen you you see when somebody is like a talented firebender that they are just fast and aggressive and whipping their legs around really fast and like breathing and fire is coming out and stuff like they look intimidating and i think that that makes some of the fights as we go further in really really cool to watch because they feel not just like a, a wizard fight which is one of the most disappointing bites uh points of the harry potter movies is magic it doesn't look cool like they they just point Um, wands at each other i think there was one exception that was in the fifth movie when okay uh, okay voldemort and dumbledore are fighting yep and they were actually kind of doing a an avatar where they were using the the they're transfiguring things yeah when they're changing using the environment around them and you know throwing stuff back and forth I mean, that was kind of Avatar-like, right? Shot, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very, like the glass-breaking shot, and then like Dumbledore like dissolving it. Like that was one of my favorite shots in all of Harry Potter. As opposed to like shooting energy beams at each other all the time, which is what it is now, and I think it's quite boring. Actually, I think there is a lot more to be done with that. But that's neither here nor there. Screw Harry Potter. Um, yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm saying like you could be eating better people at home who think that that's (laughs) the best that magic gets. You could be watching avatar and feasting on the way that fights keep getting better as avatar goes on. Some of the stuff in late Korra with the, well, I I can't even say what they're doing because that's a spoiler, but (laughs) some of the fights in like book four of the legend of Korra are some of the coolest animation fights I've seen outside of anime. They're really, really amazing. Well, if if you haven't watched, yeah, there's a I don't know I can't think of a show with cooler fights to be honest like I, except for like maybe a dragon it's ball it's hard to choose it's hard yeah, to choose like they're setting a high, high bar in the first six episodes I yeah. Know. yeah yeah oh and it, it keeps getting better like I cannot wait for you to get to a certain character from the earthbending nation who is a fan favorite uh is is the best simply the best and uh oh <laughs> my fave. god the series wait, is so, so good cat how much do you know like about it like do you ha- have extremely little it extremely that's little. amazing i i didn't really even know the premise because i was um i don't know if i mentioned this already in the podcast i was living in japan so i was already out of college and i was living in japan uh when it came out in 2007 so i totally missed it and i think i might have already said that it was uh, i was aware of the discourse and everything and I was like, oh, I should watch this, I guess, at some point. But uh, and then it became big on Netflix during the pandemic and everything. And it was just kind of sort of on my bucket list. But I'm really good at having media blinders on and completely missing things. Um, I think I was I think I managed to avoid being spoiled on the Fight Club uh, twist for 10 years. I did. actually (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. It was actually quite impressive. Um, Mm. So. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at just not absorbing a lot of like spoilers that somehow get into mainstream culture. So I was aware of the element aspect 
of Avatar, but I didn't know any of the characters. Didn't really know the premise. I was just kind of aware that it was vaguely Eastern, which is how I would describe this um, oh, this mm-hmm. show. I'm sure we'll get into that at some point. Um, but yeah, like so that was my my history with Avatar: The Last Airbender. Outside of oh yeah, and it's Western anime. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think my first real enga- my first real contact with it was when I went to a preview. Uh, when Platinum Games was making a Korra video game. And I was like, oh, Platinum's yeah. making a Korra video game. That's cool. <laughs> it was a bad video game, by the way. <laughs> yeah. it's It had some ideas, but yeah. I I would love to know what happened with that game, whether it was a case of Platinum like couldn't come up with enough stuff for Korra, which seems like a match made in heaven for that studio. Like, the studio behind Metal Gear Rising and Bayonetta is working on this incredible series. Like that should have made sense. I don't know. It's I. Who knows? Who knows? Well, all of the uh, so okay. I'm watching the first six episodes. All of the discussion has been around. Oh yeah, like the show starts out kind of slow and kind of kiddy, uh, but it gets way better. So stick with it, which which is fine. Um, I, so my initial impressions of it, um, I'm going to go with positive things to start. I really like Aang. Mm -hmm. Aang is really fun. He's a great lead. He's very bald. He's a bald child. I I was very distracted Mm -hmm. by the arrow on his head um, initially. And I was just like, wow, that's, but I've gotten used to it now. It's there the whole time, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. His powers are so fun um, with the way that he uses uh, the wind and, kind of forms into a ball and shoots things his staff and everything i like that archetype as a character in rpgs um in action rpgs so he's fun to he's fun to have i i love his giant uh bantha pet um that looks like it's something straight out of a ghibli film i love good visual gags this show understands the power of having animals they just love putting in Big fluffy animals and Momo. <laughs> oh, Momo's a. Do we have Momo yet? I haven't watched. Yeah, the first yeah, Momo. That's a lemur, Momo's right? The first yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a bit in this. I think episode five, where where he's meeting his old friend and he goes down the roller coaster and as he's oh, riding yeah, the he roller coaster. Boomer. Yeah, yeah. Once he was riding the roller coaster, I was like, this is just the entire episode now. But no, um, <laughs> that that was a pretty good one, but. There was a giant monster, and Boomy, I think, goes, oh, go get my pet. I want to go scritch his ears or something. Mm-hmm. And he thinks it's the little rabbit, but it's actually the giant monster. And then the giant monster is, like, so cute and so cuddly. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's okay. That's mm-hmm. adorable. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, the villain, the good villain, I think Prince Prince Ruka? Or what's his Prince, name? Prince Ruka. Zuko. Prince Zuko. He <laughs> Prince gets a Ruka. lot better. He, he's very, I think, one-dimensional in the beginning, but he he is gets real good. Cartoonishly evil in the beginning, but mm-hmm. I think that is so crucial for well, what they end up doing. It's obvious that he him. has, but they they lay out his motivations really well. Like uh, he, they say specifically, yeah, like he has a chip on his shoulder, a thirst to prove himself. Like is he's the heir, to the, he's the disowned heir to the throne, mm-hmm. and it's like dad is all like just not his dad the, the leader just doesn't care about him he's like, got okay, daddy like issues, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he's got mm-hmm. daddy issues okay like that that's pretty solid motivation as far as i can as far as i'm concerned uh with zuko uh he 
I think that so episode three IMO was the best one, and that was the one where he, uh, um, Ang, and company go to the the temple and he learns about his past lives as an avatar. Yeah. Yes. yeah. That's where it starts getting like deep early. I think I remember like you start like kind of like learning about that grief and like the mm-hmm. fact that Aang, you know, he was asleep for more than a hundred years and there were consequences of that. Yeah, yeah. That, that was one of like a couple episodes that I knew I wanted us to see early. So that's kind of why this first batch was so heavy in episodes, because I think that one, and uh, the Warriors of Kyoshi and the the last episode, which was the Earthbenders trapped on the island prison are like really good tone setters early on for like Avatar is trying to do some interesting stuff. One of them is about Aang grieving and like the idea of grief and loss and and dealing with death in a in a kid's show and like episode three is is novel to me mm-hmm. and then them trying to deal with Sokka's rampant misogyny and Ugh, Sokka turning it literally into a in Saturday first... afternoon special but <laughs> literally in the first minute he like is just being crappy to his sister and his sister's like all right I'm done with you I do literally everything I take care of you I like freaking make your meals I do I like fix your clothes and you're like don't appreciate me at all I'm like wow this is too real what's going on here and it's something I didn't really because like I like I said I watched it years ago and then I re I I didn't rewatch it until it came out on Netflix in 2020 and I was like man Sokka sucks which is like crazy because I love him now Mm -hmm. but like in the beginning he is insufferable so insufferable he yeah. gets better, yeah, just, I promise you. But oh my god, his like character trait right now is boy, I really hate girls. It's yeah. just between us, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> super sexist. Uh, like I like Zuko at this point more than Sokka. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Sokka is maybe one of the more impressive characters that they managed to like about face by the end of the series. And again, a lot of that stuff really starts in in book two, I think. But book one has some stellar stuff especially with Katara once we get to Katara's growth as a waterbender uh Mm. she becomes a really cool character over the course of the series that starts to hold her own and be that kind of like glue that keeps the group together in a lot of situations um yeah god this show's so good (laughs) and like the thing I love though is like Katara like I and I love her she's one of my favorite characters of all time she also has like a lot of flaws and you see it in the way that she Mm, treats a certain character that we meet that I don't even want to spoil because again she is my favorite Mm -hmm, oh my god mm. and there's another character in the Fire Nation that I really can't wait for you to I'm just so excited that you're watching this oh the the Fire Nation cast is is Kat's jam like I cannot wait for you to get to the point where we start meeting some of the characters that are around Zuko and the, the Fire nation because oh some excellent excellent characters there. you know what to bring it back there's a bit of house of the dragon in the fire nation and avatar yes, i got a, a lot of po- politics and inter interfamily backstabbing there is that's so that was the other thing about episode three was you had zuko fighting against the guy who was just like ah screw you mm-hmm. uh you can't even catch the avatar well mm-hmm. and then he's like totally drop he's just totally dragging Zuko and burn after burn, right? Get it? Mm-hmm. Fire, fire nation. Um, <laughs> against Zuko. And then they go and actually fight and Zuko totally owns him. 
Well, that's the thing. Like Zuko is so like talented. Like, he, and you see that like early on. But his like, arrogance very blinds him but, as Iroh exactly. reminds him. Yeah. Uh, oh, Iroh's uh, the best. The best. Iroh. Great. Yeah. Oh, I, I think Zuko would be annoying if Iroh weren't there. Just being yes. like, okay, whatever. But I like the tea. It's all good. Oh God, okay. Iroh. Iroh is such incredible writing. I'm so excited for you to in this next batch of episodes they get into some backstory with like who Iroh is and kind of why like he's with next? Zuko. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does a weird thing where there were some episodes that aired as like double features and stuff like that. And, and one in particular, I was looking at how Netflix organizes this stuff. And I actually really like that. Sozin's comet, which is the five part finale of avatar is just one like hour and a half movie on netflix essentially and that is the ideal way to watch it set aside the time watch Mm -hmm. the whole thing but um so much of the early stuff i think i i love how naturally avatar introduces you to its world like concepts from water bending and whether water bending is common or not and and whether bending is a normal thing or not and also like cultural things like the Agni Kai for the firebenders and stuff like that. They introduce you to it by showing it by like having characters talk about it. Like it's a facet of life and not like they're explaining something to you. If that makes sense, it makes the world feel really approachable without making it feel like they're talking down to you and explaining things to you over and over. Um, Amy and I are watching this show together, and she just said in the chat, I just love Nekobas uh, Appa a lot. And I, I agree. True MVP of the show so far. Oh, um, yeah. So Appa anyways. never gets old. Appa's the best. They gave, yeah. they gave Aang two adorable pets. Listen, <laughs> I mean, come they on. Know, I like, and I don't say this is a knock. They really knew what they were doing in like the Netflix, or not Netflix, Nickelodeon-esque, like, eccentric, like, it's a lot of slapstick comedy, which mm-hmm. I'm yeah. fine with, and a lot of cute animals. Like they do a really good job of making it accessible to kids too, and the cute animals help a lot with that. It's not overbearingly kitty. No. It does feel a little young. Um, I and each episode so far is being kind of resolved. Like there's an overarching plot. Zuko wants to get him. Uh, they're trying to get to the North Pole. That kind of thing. It's it's a little like Pokemon in that regard, actually. Well, yes. one thing, yeah, yeah. you you kind of have to get used to. And I and I didn't really realize this until my rewatch. I didn't realize how used, uh, how, like how used to like I got so used to watching shows that didn't have like broadcast restrictions, like commercial breaks and like a really yeah. tight twenty minute runtime. And like you really notice that when you rewatch Avatar, for better or worse. Yeah. yeah. Um. They're definitely doing a, I don't want to call it a, it's a little bit of a monster of the week kind of situation, right? Yeah. Challenge of the week. Adventure of the week, for sure. Adventure of the week, but there's stuff happening. I'm sure that, and they're, they're laying out this, I don't know if they've laid out the stakes quite at this point. Um, It feels a little low stakes at the moment, but we're just getting started. We're really just establishing everything um, at this point. Um, but yeah, I just like Aang. He's fun. <laughs> He's a sweet, Aang's sweet little boyo. This next batch will kind of start to introduce. I've like watched ahead a little bit already. And it's where they start to kind of lay the seeds about like, hey, there's something going on. It's it's almost like 
very D and D campaign in a way where the DM is saying like, Oh, and you noticed something over here. And, and even you as the viewer watching avatar go like, huh, wonder what's up with that. And that will start to plant the seeds of what ultimately becomes like the overarching conflict of this outside of just Aang's quest to learn how to bend all the elements. Cause it's already like neatly organized into first book is broadly him learning water bending. Second book is broadly him learning earth bending and then fire bending for the final one. And it, it does kind of adhere to that, but they find really clever ways to wrap some overarching plots in with that stuff. Mm. Yeah. I think you're, you're right. It does like feel very much like a good D and D campaign. Like you have your like party Mm -hmm. of three people and you're like traveling around doing various adventures. Um, But I like that about it. And they do a really good job of tying it all together. Like you said, Oh, oh yeah, they are kind of at a D and D party, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they all have their that. own individual party powers as well. Exactly. Yeah, and like Sokka's yeah. like more of like a warrior class, while like exactly. the other spellcasters. One of my favorite Sokka moments actually was when the fire people show up at their village, and Sokka. <laughs> it's been like he's all dressed up and everything. He Full charges out, <laughs> and Zuko just goes boop. And, well, that's, you know, yeah. this were a much more violent show. He would have just killed Sokka and that would have been that. <laughs> well, if like this had been a Game of Thrones, Sokka yeah. dead. That's, yeah. that's kind of what saying. I like about early Avatar is like Sokka's an idiot, but they do a really good job of making of making it clear like this guy's an idiot. Like <laughs> he's yeah. not right to be as misogynistic as he is. Like he's just a stupid kid. And then he grows and he becomes one of your favorites. <laughs> They allow their characters to be very flawed at times, and Mm -hmm. that is really refreshing to see, especially in like a young adult oriented program is like people can suck and heck, even you can be a bad person and you can overcome the things that are bad about yourself. Like you can grow and become a better person. And God, the way I'm so excited for November. Oh, Oh, I cannot wait. By the time we're at the end of the autumn of Avatar, I I will look back at this pod. I will re-listen to this pod and and hear the difference. It will be great. I don't want to overhype well, f- it, but best series finale of all time. Oh, I can't. it's wow. it's very very wow. One fight in particular is still a favorite of mine. It is very very good. Well, folks, you heard it here. Um, but yeah. If uh, if you're not watching Avatar The Last Airbender with us, uh, what are you doing? Start watching. It'll be great. Uh, join the Discord over on our channel, Autumn of Avatar, where we're discussing the various episodes. Um, Eric has a whole watch guide that we're going to post I in do. the Discord and on uh, the Patreon. Um, Eric, you, you should write a post uh, introducing Autumn of Avatar and like having the watch guide and everything for us. Oh, oh no, I got a blog on the. It's a, it's the long weekend, cat. Don't make me blog. It's okay, well, we'll do it. <laughs> we'll do it next Tuesday. You don't have yeah, to work on yeah, Labor Day. Yeah, promise. it'll it'll be up by the time this episode is up. Let's say that I, yeah. I will get it done sometime before this episode is up. Okay, okay. So this is me giving work to Eric <laughs> in real time <laughs> for the long weekend, no less. <laughs> bringing back fond us gamer memories <laughs> <laughs> uh but it, it'll be great so come join us on our avatar journey um and that's that's it for this week's episode of acts of the blood god thank you so much for listening we're heading over to the post show with our stars of destiny in just a hot second uh but thanks so much 
to Teeps, Drew RWX, Cal L, Mango Ults, and Ruka for joining us this week on Acts of the Blood God. And Amy, did I say Amy? I forgot Amy too. If you enjoy the show, please go ahead and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. And you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where for just $1, you can join our Discord, our community, hang out with us while we do our Autumn of Avatar watch, get ad-free episodes. And then there are more tiers beyond that with lots of bonus content as well. We'll be back, as always, to talk more about the genre we love. But until then, for Alex... And Eric and myself, thanks for listening and happy adventures.